We here are all such innovative people. So I am telling you, if you want to change the world, you're at Georgia Tech. You can do that. If you want to build the Iron Man suit, you're at Georgia Tech. You can do that. If you want to play theme music during your convocation speech like a badass, we're at Georgia Tech. We can do that. I am doing that. And we are doing this. This is the podcast known as What's the Good Word, a podcast about Georgia Tech athletics by Georgia Tech alum and fans, and most importantly, for Georgia Tech alum and fans. My name is Stephen. I am the alum. His name is Joshua. He is the fan. Joshua, what's the good word? To hell with Georgia, and we own the Tar Heels. We own that blue color. As Rec Talk said in his post-game live stream, UNC, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Chant it like the Yankees fans. Somewhere Pedro Martinez is saying, I don't know, UNC just... Uh, and that is UNC not an has insult. to call Georgia Tech his daddy. That is not an insult. That is just a fact of life. Woo! Nice. That's LA Knight reference. Yeah. We are, we are recording this on Tuesday afternoon, uh, the afternoon of Halloween. There is someone we both care about very much who will be trick-or-treating as LA Knight tonight. Yeah. And hoping he wins the... WWE Undisputed Universal... 24-7, Championship. All Galactic. From? The one and only, the, the tribal chief, Roman Reigns. Head of the table. Uh, Joseph. Ro- and no one, and no one died. And OI. We, we acknowledge you. So, all right. Very good. So, yes. What's the good word to hell with Georgia? Let's get into what we're, we are definitely going to talk about the roller coaster ride that continues to be the 2024 football, 2023 football season. Speaking of 2024, we got a little news item about that later. We're going to cover some other sports news, and then we will talk about the UNC game in depth. We have heard from some of you and want to talk a little bit about that and what you guys are saying, and possibly look ahead a little bit to we play Virginia this Saturday, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, Joshua, you wanted to start the news with... Little golf, news. little golf. We're gonna, gonna lower our voice down really low. And, uh, we should do that. I can't Welcome. do that. Not with this microphone. Welcome to the golf. Center. So there were two different tournaments, Stephen. That Georgia Tech was playing in this weekend. They split their team up to cover both events. One of the things that one of the reasons this happened is because Georgia Tech was quite successful last year. So one of the events that they were competing in was the ninth annual East Lake Cup. Now, if you're not 100 percent sure what the East Lake Cup is, guess what? Neither was I. So I did my research like a good journalist would. It's and at it turned the East out, Lake Golf Club yes. here in Atlanta. Well, it is also a tournament they do every year, and it features the semifinalists from both the men's and women's NCAA championships from last spring. Nice. So it's sort of like a rematch of the NCAA championships. And so what they do is they do 18 holes of stroke play to determine an individual male and female champion, as well as set seedings for team match play. The team match play will be taking place tonight, so you will read about it after this episode is posted. Yeah, go check it out. Go check it out right now. Pause the episode and go look it up, and while you talk about that, we'll talk about how Tech got here. Welcome back. Welcome back. So um, the biggest part of this was that freshman Cale Fontenot was part of this team. He shot a four under par and won the men's individual championship. Wow. He was the best at the event, and of the team that George Tech sent – he was with senior Christo Lamprecht, who shot an even par 70. Freshman Carson Kim shot two over par. And senior Bartley Forrester shot a four over. 
to complete the jacket score of 290. Uh, sophomore Hiroshi Tai was also there, but he did not factor in. I think they only took the top four. He shot an 80. So not not a great day from Hiroshi Tai. So Georgia Tech will be playing in team play Tuesday, October 31st. Actually, it's already happened, but they have not put the live match results in um, ramblingrec.com yet. So go look it up and figure out what's happened because they will have written everything. The other thing they were competing in was the Cypress Point Classic. And round, there was round one and round two foursomes. So let me get you up. I have to scroll all the way down. By the way, as you're looking for that, so Kale Forster uh, got the high or got the low round. So going for the Kale ship, the Kale chip. (laughs) Anyway, uh, in the Cypress Point Classic, Georgia Tech took part in both a foursomes match against Texas and a four ball match against Auburn. They lost the foursomes match, and they tied the four-ball match. Um, the top duo of seniors, Andy Mao and Adam Bratton, picked up a win and a tie in their two matches Monday, while the number two team of senior Aiden Kramer and sophomore Aiden Tran, the Aidens, as they were uh, referred to, they got the other full point in the win over Auburn. So um, I believe that they were playing two different types of events with the foursomes and then the four-ball I wish I could explain to you exactly what all that means, but it doesn't break it down, and I'm not going to bore you trying to explain golf when You might have already bored us a little bit. Oh, well. There's only so much I can do. So Georgia Tech sent – the best thing to call it is their B team. Uh, They sent their B team to Texas. The A team was in East Lake playing in the individuals. We got it. So a a week for Georgia Tech. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's talk about volleyball. We love to follow the volleyball team here and – Proud to say that Georgia Tech Volleyball is back in the top 10, baby. They had two road wins over the weekend. They beat Boston College. They also took care of business at Syracuse. Actually, a sweep win at Syracuse. The Yellow Jackets now stand at 19-3, and 10-2 in the ACC, and back in the top 10 of the AVCA TerraFlex Division I Women's Volleyball Poll. That is its highest ranking of the season. They had also been in the top 10 in week three back uh, near the beginning of September. They, let's see, a lot of stuff they talked about here on ramblingrec.com. They, they, like I said, 19 and three, 10 and two in the ACC. This was their 10th conference and 10th road win of the season when they defeated Syracuse. They have a double digit conference win streak. Uh, double-digit conference wins. They have a streak of five straight seasons of having at least 10 ACC wins. The 10 road victories are tied for the most away wins in a single season in the Michelle Collier era. So they are kind of dominating on the road. They uh, 65th straight appearance in the ABCA Top 25 and the 32nd Top 10 ranking in program history. Coach Michelle Collier is the second winning his coach in program history at 191 match wins. And they are at their best start to this point since the 2021 Elite Eight team. Uh, And the biggest thing they kind of break down in this article on Rambling Rec, kind of why they're doing so well. And one of the standouts this year has been their defense, led by Paola Pimentel, the senior. She is the two-time ACC Defensive Player of the Week this season. She is second in the conference, averaging 4.46 digs per set, and that's .01 behind first place. Also, she's got 
375 digs so far this season. She is the first Tech player with three straight 300-dig seasons. Add to that Tamara Oteen, the senior outside hitter who's been one of our leading offensive players. She herself has recorded 261 digs, so she's doing fantastic. The other little secret is Bianca Bertolino has been a weapon from the service line. We definitely are serving a lot of aces this year. She has 49 aces, 0.58 aces per set, set. That is tops in the ACC and sixth in the NCAA. So all that to say they're doing fantastic, but huge match this weekend. Or to quote somebody else, huge match this weekend. They are facing number three Louisville, one of the teams that they lost to on the road. They get Louisville at home at O'Keefe Gymnasium Friday at 7 o'clock. If there are any tickets left, get them. I doubt there are any left, but go check it out. Buy them on the open market. Get into that game. There's also going to be a game against Notre Dame Sunday Notre Dame Sunday afternoon. Notre Dame is 10 and 10, 4 and 8 in the ACC. Louisville is 18 and 2 and 11 and 1 in the conference. So Tech is 19 and 3, Louisville 18 and 2, the irresistible force meeting the immovable object. object. All right. Well, before we talk about the football product on the field, we're going to talk about the football product off the field. The Georgia Tech did have a quite a large um, commitment class before the season even started. They were up to, I believe it's peak 26 commits, and that was after a couple other decommitments. Uh, but Georgia Tech is kind of slowly losing some commitments. They're not losing any crazy commitments. Um, I think it's a lot of kids. If you were to ask me, it's a lot of kids that are kind of looking at the pieces on the board and going, you know, there's a good chance I don't play here. Um, so maybe I'll just take my ball somewhere else, which is completely fine. At, when you have recruiting, the word commit doesn't actually mean committed. It means I am currently leaning as of this very second towards this one program that has said the nicest things to me. So the two recent Georgia Tech decommits, um, first one is running back Jaden Matthews, 5'10", 170-pound running back. This is the one that always kind of didn't make a ton of sense to me because he's from Scottsdale, Arizona. It just seemed weird to have a West Coast kid committed to Georgia Tech at this juncture. I mean, when you're like Georgia or Ohio State, you can recruit nationwide. Georgia Tech hasn't really done that. You've seen it with a lot of the other commits from Brent Key. It's a lot of Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, and a couple Louisiana kids. So just to grab a random kid from Arizona, it always was a little weird. And when you look at his offer sheet, you can see exactly what I'm talking about. His big time offers. You're looking at like Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Kansas, Kansas State, Wisconsin, Washington State, a lot of West Coast or at least Midwest teams. So makes sense that he's going to stay closer to home. And again, part of it, I think, is there's some other running backs in this class, not to mention, um, you know, you Jamal Haynes probably has a couple more years. Evan Dickens has played very well in camp. You still have guys like Jamie Felix who played well at the end of last year. There are odds of him getting on the field and getting significant snaps were going to be harder and harder to come across. So it under, makes sense. The other one was linebacker Demontre Gaston, a 6'1", 200-pound linebacker from Pensacola Catholic in Pensacola, Florida. Um, he was top 1,300, top 1,350 on the 24-7 um, composite. Looking at his offer sheet, uh, Georgia Tech was one of the bigger names there. Other than us, it was probably Wake Forest. And then you're looking at like Tulane, Western Kentucky, uh, Liberty, Marshall, uh, Alabama State. 
like a lot of a lot of group of five mid major type programs. So Tech had given him a shot, uh, and it just looks like he didn't want to didn't want to follow through on the commitment. So yeah. we wish them nothing but the best. Good luck in all of your future endeavors. Let's get focused on getting a couple other kids in. Sure, absolutely. Plenty of time to refill that class. Maybe change the needs that you might be looking One for. One name to keep an eye on is let me see, I hope I say this right, sir. Ushe Ilo. Uh, from McIntosh High School in Peachtree City, he is considered a w- warm on Georgia Tech. He did, um, he did not take a fit, an official visit, but he is considered one a, a very warm on the Jackets as well as Minnesota, Virginia, and Indiana. He is a defensive lineman. He is six six two forty five. I like that. He's, he's got some length to him. Okay, very good. Before we talk about the football game, one last little thing I do want to mention: basketball. Both the men's and women's are getting ready to start their season. Damon Stoudemire is on a little video part of ramblerrec.com. You can find it. It's called Tech Talks. And he kind of gives a little preview of the season. Good little video. Go check that out. But I wanted to let everybody know that tomorrow night, uh, well, tomorrow as of this recording, Wednesday, November the 1st, the Georgia Tech men's basketball team has has an exhibition. They are playing Clark Atlanta at 7.30 at McCamish Pavilion. The... Like I said, 7.30 tickets are available for this exhibition. There will be no radio and no TV of this game. Mm. So this is going to be – that's that's about as exhibition as you can get. Yeah. So, when, like I said, Wednesday, November the 1st. By the way, next week, November 6th and November 9th, Monday and Thursday, they do play against Georgia Southern and Howard. Both of those are at home, and then they got so we're we're we officially start. We got three kind of tune-up games after this exhibition. We got Georgia Southern, Howard, and UMass Lowell all at home, and then we have our first road game and probably our first real test when on the twenty-second we play Cincinnati. So the it's almost uh, time. It's it's getting there. Next week we will be talking at least about the opening game. On November, something to throw in there. I had seen an interview from Damon Stoudemire where he specifically shouted out Debo Coleman and says Debo has changed his entire game to fit what we are asking of him. So something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Speaking of that, I want to give a quick shout out. I think he's trying to become another field reporter. He wants to be on on staff. Well, on staff. But a friend of show Kent did talk about that. That Damon had talked about how Debo had really stood out in one of the press conferences, and he was talking about check out Damon's press conferences. They're very good. The other thing he gave me was, and I'll give this little tidbit before we finish talking, before we actually talk about the UNC game, Kelly Quinlan had launched the football schedule for 2024, 25, 26, and 27, and Kent's comment was the 24 schedule looked very tough. Now, I would push back slightly, I think, with how much transfer portals there are and people leaving, you never know, just because a team is good this year doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be good next year. But the 24 schedule for the ACC schedule for who Tech will have to face is Duke, FSU, Miami, NC State, Louisville, UNC, Syracuse, and Virginia Tech. So there are some, there will be a couple of people looking for some revenge, and there will be some teams that have gotten good this year that if they stay good, that that could be a tough schedule. So we'll see how we'll it see shakes how it out. Goes. It's early. Let's talk about 
The UNC. Oh, that's uh, it, more like a cathartic experience. Exactly. Goodness gracious. So Georgia Tech at home against number 17, North Carolina Tar Heels. Before you go into the game recap, I do want to ask everybody to think, if you were watching the game, I want you to think about your experience in that game. After we give the recap of the game, I want to talk a little bit based on our rants last week, based on Sea Dogs and Rec Talk and other people's rants. I want us to relive the experience of watching that game and then talk about where we are today. But let's, I'm going to shut up, get out of Joshua's way and let him do his thing. Well, um, especially based off what have happened the previous week, North Carolina came in as a, a pretty big favorite, and it started off that way. In the first quarter, Georgia Tech was held scoreless, while UNC scored two touchdowns to make it 14 to nothing. And while Georgia Tech was able to answer towards the beginning of the second quarter with a 42-yard touchdown to Malik Rutherford, uh, UNC came right back within two minutes and scored another touchdown. So 21-7. to That's two double-digit leads. Um, Georgia Tech answered, touchdown pass to Brett Scyther. Uh, 21-14, and then they Georgia Tech tied it up with another touchdown to Malik Rutherford, and that's when UNC s- scored again, 28-21. Eventually, there was not much scoring in the third quarter. UNC would score another touchdown, go up 35-24 for a third double-digit lead, this one being 11, and the fourth quarter, Stephen, was owned by the Yellow Jackets after a Bit of a seesaw where Georgia Tech looked like they were right about to get back into it, and then UNC would kind of break your heart a little bit and remind you how much talent was on that team. And then Georgia Tech would be right there, but then something would happen. For example, my my the one that I noticed um, was coming out of halftime, Georgia, uh, Georgia Tech forces UNC to punt, which is big because UNC's got a good offense. Then they block the punt, and so you have fantastic field position. You're like, at minimum, we get three points here, and that's what we need. We're down four. First play of the drive, yep. Haynes King throws into triple coverage, and the, admittedly the DB makes a very good play to pick the ball and pin it against his hip, but still it was an ill-advised throw that never should have been thrown. Yeah, it's triple coverage, place. by far the worst mistake Haynes King made. And I hated it because I didn't want to say it out loud, but I was sitting there going, you have been hotter than the sun. And yeah. Of course, the, the the first big mistake you make could be the one that costs us. So as I said at the beginning before you did the recap here, and you'll finish the recap in a second, everybody's experience up to this point, how many of you thought, and I'll raise my hand, you go, oh, that might have been our best chance, and we blew it. Mm-hmm. Go That's ahead. That's exactly. So then the fourth quarter comes around, and Tech makes it a game. Uh, they get a touchdown from Jamal Haynes, and they get a two-point conversion, make it a three-point game. UNC comes back, gets another touchdown. It's now 42-32. And that's when Georgia Tech's run game continued to, ins- a, you know, a, I don't know what I'm looking for here, but assert obliterate. their will. Yes, obliterate, demolish, run through. Um, Georgia Tech had 246 yards rushing in this quarter alone, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and that led to a touchdown drive where Dante Smith, who we had missed gravely, uh, got a 70-yard touchdown. Uh, Georgia Tech gets the ball back, and with four minutes and thirty seconds, thirty-seven seconds left, they get yet another touchdown. S- going down into the red zone, Brent, or Haynes King scrambling around, looking like he's about to throw cross field, which was terrifying. And then finding Brett Scyther in the back of the end zone, where he gets a singular toe onto the ground, and you get a touchdown. Georgia Tech forty-six, UNC forty-two, and they were able to stop the offense from there and just bleed the clock. Because Georgia Tech's run game would not be denied. Yeah, they they ran out the last four and a half minutes, I believe it was. Let me make sure because it wasn't because they scored a touchdown with four and a half minutes left, so they would have had to get the ball back. 
but UNC gave them the ball back with three minutes and 10 seconds left. Um, when there was a fumble, I forgot about this. The fumble, they were completing, um, on third and 17, they threw deep to Tez or not. Was it Tez Walker? Tez Walker. Walker. Yes. Yeah. And it was a 36 yard game and Amari Harvey came out of nowhere, blasted the ball, um, and forced the fumble and was recovered by KJ Wallace. And then George Tech ran the last three minutes of game time with that. Bled their timeouts, got the got the needed first down while running the ball. Didn't have to do a trick play, just lined up and and just shoved it down their throats. Dominated. So Haynes King, twenty three of thirty. Um, we had talked about how he had been slipping the last couple games. He came back in a tone this game. Two hundred eighty seven yards, four touchdowns, only the one interception. Uh, Dante Smith showed why he was running back one coming into the season. Twenty two carries, one hundred and seventy eight yards, one touchdown. Um, Haynes King also had ninety yards on the ground, and Jamal Haynes had eighty. Uh, Eric Singleton had another amazing game, eight catches for 117 yards, two touchdowns each from Malik Rutherford and Brett Scyther. And then on defense, you had sacks from Daquan Douse, sack from Kyle Kennard. Um, you also did not, I mean, you did not have any interceptions. You only had a couple TFLs, like another one from Trenelius Tatum. But Georgia Tech, two, 348 rushing yards. It was fitting on a night that they honored Paul Johnson. Right. That they ran for 348 yards. Yeah, absolutely. 635 total yards. Now, UNC had 577 total yards. So Yes, well, Drake May is a Heisman well, candidate and future NFL quarterback and right. top three pick for a reason. So here's so I asked you guys to think about what you were thinking about watching the game. First thing I thought of after the game was over was we just reversed the Bowling Green game. Bowling Green, we went up 14-0. Look like, here we go, we're going to roll, we're going to get to over 500 for the first time. And we know how that game ended. We just reversed that game because North Carolina comes out and goes up 14-0. And I know, there. everybody raise your hand, because I sent Joshua a text and said, we're going to get run out of the building. Because North Carolina, you want to talk about shoving it down our throats, they just ran the same center just right into the line play, and they were getting 10 yards a pop. And our offense didn't start well. So I thought, oh, this could be a long night. Now, so I thought this was Bowling Green in reverse. And the other thing I want to say is by the end of the game, I was just thinking after we ranted, I'm so glad, and they didn't do this for us, they did it for themselves, but I'm so glad that the team showed how to finish a game. They finished that game. You, We said in the Miami game, they put themselves in a position for a miracle to happen. This game, they kept doing what they needed to do to win. Those of you that were fans or alum during the Joham years, this was a Joham, George O'Leary type game where the defense just had to make some kind of play. Just give us enough because the hope was the offense was just going to keep scoring. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. We kept scoring. Their field goal kick, their kicker missed a field goal, shanked one. And we made a, the defense made a big play after a horrible third and 17 conversion, but they didn't give up and blindsided the guy with a clean tackle to knock the ball loose. So the defense did enough. We got the block punt this time. We got the, you know, they missed the field goal. We got the turnover 
and our offense, other than other than Haynes's one bad interception, and he missed a couple of throws, but he was so good. And it reminded me of Joe Hamilton just doing things, going, well, as long as Joe's on the field and Joe's being Joe, we're going to have a shot. And I felt that way with Haynes King and the rest of the team finished this game and they played pretty well after that 14-0 start. Yeah. And so they played a whole game. Absolutely. So the offensive line looked much improved. I think that they deserve a shout out. Zero sacks allowed. Um, obviously, the running backs are getting the, you know, the Dante Smith's getting the highlights for the 70 yard run. You don't break off a 70 yard run without some quality blo- blocking up yes. there. Yes. And the announcers were making a good point of UNC. And D- their defense have played a lot of snaps last week. They played a lot of snaps this week. There's a level of exhaustion, but also. And you got you, you got to give you got to give Faulkner credit too because they noticed that and in the second half they kept going pounds. fast going fast going fast yeah they, they were, must have known less rotation or they whatever. were speeding up yeah. I don't I don't know what it was but there's just some interesting tidbits I found from a tweet about Georgia Tech so first of all I'm sure you've seen this Georgia Tech has only won their even numbered games this year they've won games two four six and eight uh, so if that holds uh, game ten is going to be the Clemson game and game twelve is going to be the Georgia game. <laughs> So, hey, I like it. I'm just saying, we'll see what happens. Uh, they've also played three ranked teams. They've all been ranked number 17. So Georgia Tech is two and one this year against the AP number 17 team. Um, they're also this is their third straight win against UNC. Yep. Uh, which I believe they've been ranked all three times. If not, they were very close to being. Yeah, they were 25 the yep. first time we beat them. We like blew them out. Um, so the other one that I thought was fa- fascinating was. In that game, we had talked about it. They had zero points in the first and the third quarters, uh, but then they had 24 in the second and 22 in the fourth. Um, and then this is the Atlanta Hawksness of it all. Georgia Tech has scored 254 points on the year, and they've allowed 254 points on the year. <laughs> they've scored 33 touchdowns. They've allowed 33 touchdowns. Um, and they've also led by two possessions in two of their losses and trailed by two possessions in two of their wins. For example, they led by 15 against Louisville and 14 against Bowling Green. But they also trailed by 10 against Miami and 14 against I UNC. love it. I love so it. they are the most confusing, confounding, yeah. mind-boggling, bamboozling team. Well, it's a team that is is learning on the job. It is a team that is – they're showing us signs. They're, and they finally showed us a complete game that made us go, yes. Now, it's a roller coaster ride. And I had someone – I had someone say to me, or I saw someone post on social media and said, you know, this is such a great win and so happy. I just wish we would win the games we're supposed to win. If given the choice, I would rather in this season, I'm, I think I'm more happy. I'm definitely more happy beating Miami, beating Wake Forest on the road and beating, uh, uh, beating UNC I'm much more happy about that than I would be happy about a Boston College win and a Bowling Green win. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I wish we had won those games, and then you start, oh, we'd won those. Think about where we'd be. Yeah, okay. You got to take the good with the bad. And so when this team plays bad, we can't beat anybody. And when this team plays good, we can play with almost anybody. Think about how we have played for stretches with anybody. We had Louisville, who, by the way, continues to look better and better which makes that first game look like, yeah, absolutely, we can play with some people. We've got a long way to go, but this is what hope feels like. Yeah, that's 100% right. 
Um, I would prefer to be the, the, the ranked teams and have these kind of upsets because to me, it shows you exactly what the team can be when they're clicking on all cylinders. I would argue that like losses against mediocre teams are easier to clean up because it, it speaks to maybe a level of focus. I feel like you can coach that in. It's harder to coach in the ability to believe you can beat a team like UNC that's got future NFL players up and down the roster. Well, and you shouted out the offensive line, and there's a lot of shout-outs to be, to be given. I need to, I need to say I feel as an alum and as a fan – Listen, Haynes King is is deliver way delivering. This is he's better over, than I thought. He had, I, I over and above, and I I want him to continue. I want continued success. I want him here for another year. I can't wait to see what happens when they continue to improve around him. But that guy gives you a shot on every play, and he just is. And I said Johan, but I would almost say it's Jordan Usher like. You know, you got, you know, it's, it's, it's King doing King things because you you might have to continue to take some of the bad to get some of the other amazing plays. That just makes him a college quarterback. Right. Well, to (laughs) an extent, but he is due. I mean, he just, no play is keep it in control. Don't overdo it. And hopefully he doesn't have to continue to overdo it at times, but that, that Scyther play, by the way, Brent Scyther, five catches on the year for four touchdowns. That's he amazing. Just, he's got a nose for the ball. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So I, I, it's it's a lot of fun, and that was a, that was a lot of fun to to watch. I have to say, we are yet again because of the two, games two, four, six, and eight wins. Here we stand at four and four. We've got a shot to go over five hundred for the first time, yep. and. Five years. Well, let's not assume that it's, it's. We can't assume anything. Currently, UVA is actually a point and a half favorite against yeah. Georgia Tech. They are playing. We are playing at home. Georgia Tech has not played well at Virginia at all. Right. I believe they've only won two of the last like thirteen or fifteen matchups there. Um, it's been a while, and Virginia is coming in playing their best football. Yes. You know they're two and six, but it's a it's a close two and six. Well, and the old the old saying is when you're at home, if you play at home, you typically get three points in the line. So yeah. for them to be one and a half favorites, they're kind of saying, you know that that a little bit leaning to Tech, but yes, it's a pick them. It is. It's a pick. It is, and and these are two teams that you don't know who's going to show up, and you don't know how yeah. they're going to play. Looking looking at the schedule, the. Virginia's only been blown out twice this year, and it was both on the road against out-of-conference teams in Tennessee and Maryland. Uh, they played James Madison very close, and that's huge because James Madison is a ranked program now. They are fantastic. Uh, they also they lost to Boston College, just like us, They uh, by three points. They lost to NC State by three points. They beat William & Mary, and they beat UNC. And that win against UNC was at UNC, so it's even more impressive. And they just played Miami last year or last week. It uh, they lost by three in overtime. And, and I think the other thing is that it, listen, if our team has any chance of winning, the offense has to play a whole game. That that's that is what this team is showing you clearly. We need the defense to do enough, while the offense has to go out. We have to outscore people. You know, UVA is giving up 31, almost 31 points a game. They're they're at 106. Now, we're 110th at 31.8, but we score, you know, they're only scoring 23.9 points per game. So while we're scoring 31.8. So, yeah, we're giving up the same points as we are getting. So if our offense shows up and does some things at UVA, 
I think there's a shot. And this team is, this team is, it's intriguing to watch because you don't know if you're going to be, you know, depressed or static. Yeah. If you're going fast down the hill, excited, or if you're going fast down the hill, holy crap, I think this is going to be a train wreck. So we'll have to watch and see. Hills and the valleys. Yeah. By the way, two o'clock, I believe the game is being shown on the CW. Check your local listings. And if you want to have some fun, I know Sea Dog or Rec Talk both, I don't know if they're both doing it together or at least one of them will have a live stream during the game usually. And they'll definitely have a live stream after the game where they kind of talk through stuff so you can get their post-game breakdown. And by the way, we are not appearing on their show, nor are they appearing on our show. So we're breaking that curse. We'll, the kibosh we'll, has been put. Yes. We'll we'll work out some way where we can continue to talk to them if they want to talk to us. I, I feel like it's our fault. But anyway, um, yeah. I, remember where you were on this day. And, and just remember, after this, you've got Clemson, who's 4-4. Four and four. Yep. Syracuse, who's 4-4. Four and four. And those four, I think they started 4-0 and and the – now 0-4, and, and it's it's not a close 0-4. And, yeah. and then you've got the University of Georgia. If So if we win two of these remaining – Two of the remaining four, four you're games, bowl eligible. And, and with the wins we have, there's no way they shut us out of a bowl game. Well, if they have enough bowl-eligible teams, they won't take a 5-7 and team. Well, but yeah, if right, you're 6-6 six – six, Yeah, if we win – that's what I'm saying. If we win two, yeah. there's we're definitely going – and I would make an argument that if they don't have enough, if, if they have at five and seven, again, with the wins we have at five and seven and the schedule we played, you can make an argument. But you know what? Let's take it away. Let's get two wins. If we're five and seven and they don't have enough teams, they will look to James Madison first because James Madison is not allowed to play in a bowl game because they have just recently come to the division, the like FCS, um, whatever it is level. Like it's it's they have, they're under a postseason ban, but they can make it if there's not enough eligible teams. So they will be first in line. All right, before well, us. whatever. But we're gonna win two against UVA, against Clemson, and against Syracuse. You've got to at least take two. All right, Clemson looks much more winnable than it did at the beginning of the season. I think we've come to the end of this road. I believe so. Hopefully next week. Well, I don't even want to jinx anything. I don't want to say anything to ruin anything. Go watch the roller coaster ride on Saturday because I don't know what's gonna happen. So what I do know is how we end the show. You can count on that, and you can count on us to continue to ask the most important question, and that question is... What's the good word? 